right, if you got your scriptures, go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, we're going to look at verses uh, 18 through 22. Uh, our series that begins today is called Live Like Jesus. And uh, here's the reason I love this uh, for the next eight weeks, is we're going uh, to get into the life of Christ, and we're going to look at this through the lens of those early disciples. So as they follow Jesus every day, what were the lessons that they were learning? And if you boil those lessons down, we're going to get into eight of them, not all eight today, but we're going to get into each week a specific life lesson that Jesus taught. I hope that it challenges you like it's already challenged me. It's so important that we see the way that Jesus rose up and he began to invest into others and they became followers of him. And so time and time again, you hear phrases like this, Come and see, follow me, and I will make you what? Fishers of men, okay? We're going to unpack that and see what that looks like. And then go and bear fruit. And I think as we get into this, you're going to see that what Jesus did time and time again is he demonstrates the importance of being up close and personal. That's what he wants from every one of you. He wants a relationship with every one of us. He doesn't want us just to be followers of him, disciples of him. He wants to equip us so that we can then pour our lives into others and they can make disciples. Disciples making disciples. Because when that stops, the church dies. We have to keep investing in others the way that Jesus invested in them. So that's what we're going to get into. And we're going to focus every week on one word. Now, a few years ago, uh, there was a movement and uh, so I read this little book, and the minister, uh, he developed this program, and the reason he did is he said, I see the same thing year after year after year. People go into the new year, and they make an entirely uh, large list of what? Resolutions. And then you break them every year, don't we? Anybody want to guess the number one New Year's resolution every year? To go to church. No, no, you are, uh, no. It's to lose weight. Now, years ago, this was a long time ago, I was actually in good shape, and I used to work out a lot at the YMCA, uh, the big one, and uh, the first three weeks, the regulars were always mad. Do you know why? Because all the, new, the resolution folks showed up, you know, and you can always tell because everything matches. You know, they think, <laughs> they, you know, and I'm like, uh, and I can still remember every year it'd be like three weeks, just three, and then they'd blow out and then you get back to business. Now, why? Because it's easy to make a resolution. Well, this minister, uh, and I thought this was brilliant, he, he challenged his whole congregation. He said, as we go into this new year, pick one word. I mean, what's the word God's laying on your heart? And for an entire year, you focus on that word. Maybe the word is love, mercy, forgiveness. Here's one you shouldn't put down, patience. And he said, every day, just get into God's word and say, God, I have turned this over to you. Help me with this one word. His name is uh, Michael Ashcroft and uh, Rachel Olson. And if you go online, you can find it. it's called My One Word. It's a great challenge. And I want you to listen to this very famous speech, just a portion of it by Winston Churchill. It was delivered May 1940, right before World War II. And he delivered this to the House of Commons. See if you pick up the one word. I would say to this house today, I have nothing to offer but blood, 
toil, tears, and sweat. Victory at all cost. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory, victory, however long and hard the road may be. For without victory, there is no survival. Did you pick up, baby, on the word he's hammering home? But he's not talking about a soccer game. He's talking about survival. Like if we do not have victory as a nation, we won't survive. Churchill went on to say this, all the greatest things are simple and many can be expressed in one word. Now, if you really want to be inspired, you can go online. It's called myintent.org and you can buy this one word kit for 150 bucks. Now, I've got two words for that, rip off. But if you want to be obsessed with one word, there, there you go. You can do that. Here's our, here's our word today. Drum roll, please, everybody. Wow, pretty, pretty lame group we got today. Okay, it's the word relational. It's not that great of a word, but it's the word relational. And I want you to think about the power of that word. Everything Jesus did when he would reach out to anyone who was willing to follow was about relationships. And I love that about Jesus. That's what we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 4. Look at verse 18, and we'll see this, that Jesus leads the disciples from the mundane to the great adventure. Look at verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Now this is the Sea of Galilee, 680 feet below sea level. And there were nine fishing communities, all of those communities under 15,000. But this was how they lived. This provided life. And Jesus, you notice, didn't send an email. He didn't text. He didn't send a nice invitation. What did he do? He showed up. And where did he show up? Where they worked in their lives. That's the relationship that all of us should be striving for with Jesus. He wants all of us to come out of the mundane, rules-driven religion, and he wants a relationship with us. Now, I can tell you from being here, uh, it's hard to believe. I, some of you and I look around, have been on this West Side journey. Uh, this is our fifth year, and I've heard a lot of stories. And I can be honest, uh, I've had a lot of conversations about uh, churches that you came out of, some of the hurt, and some of you grew up in churches that uh, were heavy on rules and light on grace. Do you know what I mean by that? So let me share with you, if a minister is going to be honest, and this does not happen at Sherwood Oaks, I'm just since they're taping this, this does not happen at Sherwood Oaks, but I'm, I'm telling you, it happens in churches all across America. You know what ministers really dread? It's called a congregational meeting. Perhaps you've heard of that, anyone? Oh, my land. You don't know it. Oh, <laughs> don't raise your hand, it's a bad, okay. But you never really know. But you know how a lot of congregational meetings are run? Rules and regulations. You know what kind of rules? Man-made rules. I shared this for a service, but uh, when Marie and I were serving in a church in central Illinois, I was the associate minister, and the minister's name, Marvin Flowers, looked like Brutus from Popeye, big burly guy. And he scheduled, you won't believe this, he scheduled a congregational meeting uh, 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Super Bowl Sunday. And it was snowing. And I remember out there, I'm helping him shovel. And I said, you know, Marvin, I don't think anybody's going to show up. He goes, you're smarter than you look, you know. <laughs> I don't want anybody to show up. 
And then I realized the pain behind that. He said, John, it's just too painful. And we've all been hurt, haven't we? In situations where there's a lot of rules, a lot of regulations, a lot of don't do this, don't do that, without experiencing the true grace of Jesus. That's the relational side of Jesus. He doesn't want us to live in that world. The life group Marie and I are in, we're going through this material right now called Freedom. And the minister who wrote it, his name is John Hodges. Uh, he ministers at the Church of the Highlands, a uh, group of churches in, in Alabama. And I want you to listen to what he says. I love these words. You can fulfill the commands of the Bible better, falling in love with God, rather than trying to obey everything the Bible teaches. And that's true. Because when you love Jesus, when you pursue Jesus every day, you know why you obey him? Because you love him, not because of guilt or shame. And really, how far does guilt and shame go? Anyway, really. Now, when you're motivated by guilt, come on. But when you're motivated by love, and that's the kind of relationship Jesus wanted for them, and it's the kind of relationship he wants for us. Now, over the years, I've had several conversations about people to be like, I'm trying to get from believing to buying in to being all in with Jesus. So let me share this whole journey when you're trying to make what I call a directional decision in life. Now here's what I mean by directional decision. You're trying to make a next step decision with a career, uh, perhaps a move, a relationship, and when you're in this vortex, trying to make that decision, what do you do? Well, first of all, hopefully, you believe in Jesus. But is believing in Jesus enough? Jesus said, even the demons believe in me. No, it's believing in Jesus and being willing to open up God's word and say, are there some biblical principles to follow? So you're making a really tough decision. Some of you may be trying to make a tough decision right now, a directional decision. So you've got to ask yourself, this decision that I'm trying to make, is it opposed to God's principles? Because here's the deal. If it's against God's word, it's against God's will. I mean, I've actually had people, they'll come to me about a, a terrible relationship decision, and they'll say, but I want to be happy. And here's what I always say. God doesn't really care if you're happy. He wants you to be right with him. So when you're trying to make these tough decisions, are you running it through God's word? And then are you getting godly wisdom? Do you know the difference between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom? Here's worldly. I'm going to go talk to somebody that's going to tell me what I want to hear. Godly is, I'm going to talk to somebody and actually listen. And usually what they'll share with you is their life experience and your life experience. You ever notice when you reflect back a lot of decisions like, I think I've been here before, and I'm not going to do that again. We can learn so much from just our life experiences. Uh, years ago, the first time we ever went to Disney, the kids were so excited, and uh, standing right in front of me was a, an impossibility. There was no line on this ride. You know what it was? Dumbo. And I said, give me the camera. And they said, well, Dad, you're going to ride? Absolutely not. Why? Past experience. This will not end well. Now, maybe some of you know what I'm talking about. If something's spinning, it's coming up. I, mean, I don't know how to say that flight lane church, but I could just lean into past experience. And a lot of times, you're trying to make a tough decision. Listen to other people's experiences listen to your own experiences, and then ultimately, if you sense God calling you, this is so important, 
Are you willing to say, in faith, because that's what it is, I'm willing to go all in? Maybe some of you are struggling right now with that. Jesus wants us to go desperately from the mundane to the great adventure of life. Now, here's what I mean by the great adventure. I was trying to picture this. Can you imagine 60 Minutes, if you've ever watched 60 Minutes on Sunday night? Um, can you imagine if there was a crew from 60 Minutes interviewing the disciples in the upper room in Acts chapter 1 and 2? Can you imagine? And if they asked this question, so when you followed Jesus, what was that experience? Do you think they would say, well, it was boring or it was safe? Do you think they would even use the word routine or mundane? No. It was a great adventure. And it's what he wants for all of you. But some of you might be carrying some stuff in here right now, and that's why you can't go on the great adventure, because you think God's mad at you. See, we need to realize Jesus wants a relationship with you desperately. And here's the second thing that's so important. Jesus leads the disciples from comfort to the great unknown. Let's pick it up in verse 19. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing the nets. And Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. Now, here's something you need to understand. Before Jesus uttered those words, excuse me, follow me, he didn't just show up as a complete stranger. See, sometimes when you read this text and you don't go back and study the other scriptures, you think, oh, wow, that's faith. Jesus shows up, introduces himself. I'm Jesus. Uh, perhaps you've heard of me, son of God, savior of the world. Follow me. And it wasn't like that. No, they knew about Jesus. Matter of fact, they knew about Jesus a long time before. They had followed John the Baptist. They had heard John the Baptist teach. They heard John the Baptist point the way to Jesus. And here's the deal. They are what? What's their occupation? They fish. Uh, how many of you have ever fished? How many enjoy it? Hey, six of you. But anyway, if you love to fish, here's the best thing about fishing is it's setting in the boat with somebody else. You know the worst thing about fishing? If you're setting in the boat with somebody you don't like. You don't do that. Why? Because you have all this conversation. And think of all the conversations they had about the teachings of John the Baptist and then Jesus. So you got to know when Jesus showed up, they, they were just like, this is Jesus. I'll do whatever he asked me to do. 20 times in the Gospels is this phrase, follow me. It's the same thing he wants this morning. Now, what's unbelievable when I think about that follow me and who Jesus was reaching out to, it's fishermen. We know that at least four of the 12, their occupation is that they were fishermen. Some scholars think that there was actually up to seven of those disciples that fished. Now, you ever ask yourself why Jesus chose fishermen? I mean, that's an interesting occupation. He didn't choose scholars. He didn't choose carpenters. Uh, he chose fishermen. I wonder why. Maybe you can relate to this. Here it is. First of all, they're busy. Anybody else here busy? Please. I mean, if I got your planners out right now, it'd be exhausting. They're patient. A good fisherman is patient. And they're courageous. 
They didn't have a weather channel. And they risked their lives all the time to put food on the table, not just for them, but for others. And have you ever noticed in your life when you sense God's calling you to do something, does he do it when you're comfortable? Aren't you always busy? I can't tell you how many times I sense God pulling me to do something, and I'm like, oh, Lord, have you seen my schedule? Like Jesus didn't have a tough schedule. You know what I'm saying? Or, Lord, I've got a lot planned today. Cardinals play Cubs at 2 o'clock. I mean, you know that. I know that. You know, See, we, we're easy about, Lord, I'm so busy, but it's in the midst of the busyness that you begin to hear his voice. Isn't that true? Years ago, I sat in a, a meeting, and there was a devotion, and the guy said, uh, I've learned this lesson about life, that if I want things done in the church, I work with busy people. And I hated that. I'm like, that's not true. You know what? It is true. The people that get it done are not the people waiting around begging. It's the people like, I'm so busy, but okay, I'll, I'll try it, because what? God is moving. And then courageous. It takes courage to be a fisher of men. It takes courage, and here's the big one, to drop your nets for Jesus. Andy Stanley said this, and I love this quote, no matter what you believe or how you behave, Jesus invites you to follow. No matter what you believe this morning, and no matter what baggage you bring, he still reaches out and says, follow me. What are the nets that you have to drop this morning? I want you to think about the nets they dropped. Do you remember who the first two disciples were that he reached out to? Simon, Peter, and Andrew. Now, isn't that like Peter anyway? I bet Jesus didn't even finish the sentence and he dropped the net. Why? Because that's, that's Peter. He's spontaneous. And Don't you know people like that? They're the folks that bungee jump first. You know what I'm we all have those friends. Okay, that's Peter, okay. But what about the next two brothers? Look at them. Look at James and John. What's interesting is it says they left the boat immediately. Now look at your scripture. Who is still in the boat? Anyone? Dad. Think about that. Matter of fact, uh, the guy that wrote a lot of the curriculum we've been using, his name's Dan Spader. Dan Spader went into youth ministry for this one thing. Do you know who the first teenager was? It was John. So Dan Spader decided, I think Jesus was the first youth minister, and he was. Now imagine being a teenager and dad's in the boat, and you look at your dad and you say, Dad, I'm leaving. Can you imagine that? You talk about courage. You talk about willing to do whatever it takes to follow Jesus. So my question is, what's the net in your life? I mean, what is it you're holding on to so tight you can't let it go? That if Jesus were to look you right in the eyes and say, follow me, you'd be like, I can't. Man, because I'm holding on so tight. And Jesus is like, no, no, you got to let go. Is it hard? Absolutely, it's hard. We need to understand how powerful it is to listen to the words of Jesus because words matter. I've never shared this before, uh, but you need, I'm just going to let you in on something. Every so often, not many, but some people will say, you know, John, you don't preach very long. You should preach longer. <laughs> not many of you, but a few of you have said that. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you what the deal is. So when I was growing up, my mom used to say time and time again, you know, you don't need to go around the barn twice. You just don't need to. If you can't get something said in 20 minutes, you can't get it said. Now, my mom taught for 
50 years, Sunday school. And that was their big thing, is if you ever do this, don't talk too much. People don't like preachers who talk too much. Would you agree? <laughs> You're not going to say anything. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but here's the deal. Words matter. So let me give you an example of what I mean by words matter. There's a little book, and it's called Six Word Memoirs. Can you imagine right now if I had you to describe your life in six words? Like, what are you going through right now, and what six words would you use? So here's a few examples. Uh, this is from Josh Kruger. He said, I came, I saw, I sat. Okay, that guy's not real motivated. Uh, here's Deborah Potosmas. Now listen to what she said. Others seldom rise to my expectations. Hashtag can't get a date. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Honey, you've got to change your attitude. Okay. Out of everyone, I chose you. That's from Samantha Chavez. This is from Alexandria. I love this. Pulled between past, present, and future. You ever felt like that? Kaylee Zittner said this. This is really, uh, it's just, you can feel the pain. I never believed this would happen. You ever had a moment like that in your life? You're just stunned, almost in shock. I can't believe this happened. And then here's my favorite one. Saved by grace, free at last. There it is. Saved by grace, free at last. Jesus has a word for all of you, and that is he's with you every moment of your life. Every crisis, every exhilarating moment, but those moments that, I mean, are just so hard. I call them the 911 moments. This came out a little while ago, and it's it's just uh, it's one of the coolest stories I've ever heard about a little girl that's four years old. Uh, her name is Kalise Manning, and uh, her mother battles having seizures, epileptic seizures, and she was pregnant, very pregnant. So she sat down with her little girl and she said, "If anything would ever happen to mommy, I'm going to teach you how to use mommy's phone." So she said, these are the numbers you punch in to get in. And then if there's an emergency, and you know what an emergency is, and she explained it, you hit these numbers or you just hit this icon and it'll go to a person who will talk to you and you just talk to them. They, they call that 911. She's like, mom, I know what 911 is. You know, she's four. She knows it all. Okay, so, and her mom has a seizure and she's unconscious. She picks up the phone calmly punches in the code, and starts talking to the dispatcher. She talked to that dispatcher for seven and a half minutes. Well, now, why was that so important? Because she couldn't remember the exact address. She knew exactly what the house looked like, but the longer she talked, they were able to pinpoint where she was. At the very end of the conversation, this was, this was so powerful. The dispatcher said, oh, honey, how old are you? She said, I'm four, yes, and I'm almost getting bigger. I love that. I think that's what Jesus is saying to those disciples, and I think that's what he's saying to us. Look, you don't come to me thinking, i got to have my act together, because guess what? You don't. They didn't either. You don't follow Jesus thinking, uh, Jesus, I just, I have so many things, and Jesus like, it doesn't matter. 
just follow me. And when you follow me, I'm with you every step of the way. Every step. Through the good times, through the bad times, through the crisis, through the 911 moments, I'm there. And you know what's great? Their faith grew. Every day they got bigger. Not because of them, but because of Jesus. I mean, that's why we're here, isn't it? That's why we surrender to him. If you're visiting with us, just want you to know that every Sunday we break bread together. We come to these tables that are before us, and uh, we do this because of what Jesus has done for us. But there's something I want to share with you as, as you all approach. You're all invited. And if any of you need help, you just raise your hand and it'll bring communion to you. But I thought about this whole phrase, follow me. The relational Jesus reaching out, follow me. I, as I shared before, 20 times Jesus issued that challenge in the Gospels. But here's another interesting fact. 58 times we read that phrase used for other people who were following Jesus. Now think about that. Jesus was always saying, follow me. But what's interesting is how many people, it's recorded, follow Jesus. Why? Because Jesus had something that they needed, hope. When you come to the table, what is it you need this morning? Because the hope is in Jesus. If you'll do one thing, if you'll accept that call. And he says, follow me. Are you willing to follow him? I mean, follow him. Let me pray for you as we prepare our hearts for communion. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We lay our hearts before you. Lord, we want to follow you. We want to do more than just believe. We truly want to follow. Thank you, Lord, that you want to have a relationship with us because you love us so much. We can lay the guilt. We can lay the shame. We can lay it all right here at your feet because you love us. And it's in Jesus' precious name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.